For years, they've been asking, where's Hunter? And today he was like, hey, I'm here. Let's do this. And the GOP was like, no, see, we just want to do an impeachment of your dad where we talk to you in private. This is going to be what your MAGA relatives talk about over the holidays. So you better get smart on it. and We're here to help. Speaking of calling MAGA bluffs, Jack Smith went straight to the Supreme Court to get this immunity business settled. Finally, we'll talk Ukraine and Israel Gaza, and we'll finish it off with a piece of actual good political news. Welcome back to the podcast that helps you, the 54% of the country that votes for progress in every election, convince your conservative friends and family members to join our majority. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, well, a lot of activity on the Hill today. Uh, the GOP is set to today to formalize their impeachment inquiry. Uh, GOP Speaker Mike Johnson said, quote, we're not making a political decision. It's a legal decision. I think an open question is what exactly they're impeaching Joe Biden over. Uh, I know that they have a lot of questions for Hunter Biden. Um, and that you know is a good segue to the other piece of Big Hill news going on right now, which is they might have a lot of questions for Hunter Biden, but they don't seem to want to ask those <laughs> in public. Hunter Biden gave a press conference today in which he said, well, let's go to the clip. Uh, this is Hunter Biden. This is at the Capitol, by the way. At the Capitol. I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. And I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. For that, I'm responsible. For that, I'm accountable. And for that, I'm making amends. But I'm also here today to correct how the MAGA right has portrayed me for their political purposes. I am first and foremost a son, a father, a brother, and a husband from a loving and supportive family. I'm proud to have earned degrees from Georgetown University and Yale Law School. I'm proud of my legal career and business career. I'm proud of my time serving on a dozen different boards of directors. And I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they've belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. All right, he's going on the offensive, Jason. Do you think this is smart? Well, first of all, let's note that he called out both of our alma maters. <laughs> it's just kind <laughs> of funny. Right. Well, uh, I breezed right past that. I mean, you know, uh, we haven't been acquitting ourselves great lately with uh, J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley. I listened. Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, it's, you can just keep going. 
Well, I listened to your a conversation uh, on Burn the Boats with Ken Harbaugh, where you were you were lamenting all the, the Yale Law School distinguished alums. But um, yeah, look, what else can he do at this point? I mean, and and he's being he's being vulnerable. He's saying, look, I've I've made a lot of mistakes. And he's and I think it's important to call him out on for the for the background. What people need may or may not remember is that the oversight committee or whoever the hell it is that's trying to do this, they want to depose him in private. Right. And we went over this, I think, a week or two ago. The reason that they want to do that is because they want to ask him a bunch of questions, get him on the record about those answers. Then they want to figure out, you know, knowing how he's going to answer those. Then they want to bring him back in front of the entire committee with the cameras on. And then they're ready because they know what his answers are going to be. They can phrase their questions differently. They can try and make it seem like he's uh, contradicted himself. They can be more prepared to embarrass him and to use it to embarrass his father. And what he's saying is, look, I'll talk to you, but we're not doing it in private where you can claim I said, you know, this or, or take snippets out. He's like, let's just do it. Let's have people watch. And so I think by showing up, it's one thing to send letters back and forth and say, hey, look, I'll go and I'll testify publicly is another thing to, you know, government shutdown episode of West Wing style. Just walk over to the Capitol and be like, hey, I'm right here. Why aren't you willing to actually talk? So I do think it's a strong move, even given not having a very strong position to work from. Yeah. And when you say not strong position to work from, I presume you mean if the Republicans hold him in contempt of Congress, which Democrats mm -hmm. have done to various people who failed to show up and some of whom had to you know, serve jail time for not showing up, uh, he has to show up at that point, doesn't he? I mean, I don't fully understand yeah. how Congress works as a judicial Or body. go to jail. Yeah. Or so go to jail, to I think. Right. So I, this and is more. I also the say in the law. I would imagine. I also say not from a strong position because he is credibly charged with crimes. Um, right. You know, like we shouldn't we shouldn't sugarcoat that. I mean, this is a guy who, as he alludes to, has made mistakes and has had struggles and has run afoul of the law. Now, I don't really think it's of use to get into the comparison game, but the stuff that you know, Jared Kushner and. The, the stuff that people in the Trump administration have been charged with and the stuff that people in the Trump family have not been charged with, uh, this pales in comparison to a lot of that. But that's the game they want us to play. They want us to compare the two so that they seem the same. And it, I just, I don't know, it's a sidebar, but, you know, when he talks about how it's been six years, I feel really bad for the guy. There are a lot of people who have suffered with addiction and who have, you know, gotten into trouble with the law as a result. Um, you know, Hunter Biden didn't kill anybody. Hunter Biden did some things that are wrong and that, that he will be punished for and should be punished for um, with, you know, tax violations and some of the other stuff that, that he's done. Um, but usually that comes with regular, you know, judicial punishments, uh, regular criminal justice system activity. It doesn't usually come with six years of public humiliation and becoming one of the uh, best known people in the country because of who your dad is. Now, I guess people would say uh, that, you know, he tried to trade on that name and this is the result. Well, yeah, I guess that's a fair criticism, but I feel bad for him, but who I feel worse for is Joe Biden. I read an article this week that said that there are sources in the White House who say that, and this makes sense, that Joe Biden feels horrible guilt over this because he feels strongly that had he not uh, become president, 
that his son would have never been subjected to some of these charges because he wouldn't have been as high profile. But certainly, either way, he wouldn't have been sub- subjected to this sort of public flogging that he's had to go through while trying to beat a substance addiction. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an inevitable trade-off that a lot of people who decide to run for office have to grapple with, which is, you know, how does it affect your family? And, you know, you've written about this before in your books. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and and Diana, I think, talks a lot about this, like in terms of like, what does it mean? Uh, you know, it's almost like people should be thanking her. <laughs> like no doubt. <laughs> uh, well, um, the and obviously Diana like doesn't have anything to answer for in that respect, other than being a very lovely person. Uh, but the can I another just a funny sidebar to that to like the being a being a, a political spouse. We were watching. I won't say which one, but we were watching a documentary, uh, a sports documentary, and Diana is by no means like a stand by your man. I mean, my wife is a feminist. There's no doubt about it. But we were watching this documentary uh, about the sports figure and it kept cutting back to his wife and his wife kept saying, you know, we went through this and we went through that. And she's talking about things that her husband did on the field. And, and at one point, Diana was like, I can't watch this anymore. And I was like, I was like, why? And she's like, we didn't do anything. He did these things. And then she was, and then what was funny and was what it, what I realized what her, perspective on this was, which was when she said, lady, this ain't politics. <laughs> and I thought that was so right or wrong. I just thought it was revealing as to her perspective as a political spouse. Oh my. Well, we'll talk about sports spouses later on when we talk about what happened on Sunday, but the, uh, but let's, um, let's go to the GOP reaction uh, to all of this. Uh, they, they did some pressers. This has been, I think, the most transparent uh, political or, or, or congressional investigation since since I've been in Congress for seven years. Homer, do you acknowledge that you haven't answered that question and that you found no evidence of wrongdoing or criminal conduct? We found some very serious evidence that uh, you look Joe at... No, 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 no. The checks. There's two checks to Joe Biden the from his brother that the money to give Joe Biden was through influence peddling. One was through the American... No, 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 listen. Loan repayments that we all saw. We showed you the loan documents. You don't understand loan documents, I do. Okay? If I wrote you... If you pay me back $240,000 for a loan repayment, I should have a check going to you for $240,000. you're Joe Biden's attorneys of... The, the, the law firm that represented all the shell companies. That, that represented all the shell companies. You think those lawyers have... What, what do you think? You're, you're defending them. I mean, you're acting as <laughs> a... That's just a very serious crime. Are, are you positive that that money came from Joe Biden? You really? Are you positive? Just no, say no. Look, we have a lot of questions. Next question. Are you going forward with contempt? The chairman that has memorialized in emails that we that you guys leaked from Hunter Biden's laptop. Thank you. I would like to have asked Hunter Biden about man act violations, sex trafficking women across. Thank you all very much. Thank you. For people who are just joining on audio, that was Marjorie Taylor Greene behind the scenes. So. I wouldn't say this press conference was going particularly well before this, but then she just ups the ante and it starts throwing crazy accusations out about sex trafficking. And you could see uh, even Jim Jordan, who actually is alleged to have been part of some sexual, you know, sex crimes himself, uh, allegedly, uh, 
credibly allegedly i don't know what what lawyers can well, what you could say you could say he has been credibly charged with standing by and doing nothing while people were victims yes yeah and, which is he, a crime but he realizes yeah. yes it is it is it is but and then he realizes oh we're going into a different uh into a into a different territory here uh and she's trying to allege a new cover-up and he just goes ah oh, yeah well that's all the time we have because <laughs> marjorie taylor green's gonna start talking my okay my favorite part of that is the very beginning when comer uh says uh he says well this is the most transparent political uh congressional investigation <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's right on both counts it's yeah. the most, you add those two things together it's a transparent tra congressional political investigation yeah. it's transparently political i agree exactly yeah um yeah uh i think i think you jason might have pulled this clip but uh i think uh the republicans were asked what they're hoping to gain from this uh i don't know if i've seen this clip but let's throw this up here because it looks really exciting um Let's see what the goal is here. Like, what are we trying to get out of this investigation? Representatives, what are you hoping to gain from an impeachment inquiry? All I can see is Donald J. Trump 2024. Yep. All right. That sounds right. So, <clears throat> so we got two fellas walking across the street there. I don't know who the dude is who answered that question. I'm pretty sure the guy walking to his right is Eric Burleson, who's a state representative from Springfield, Missouri, who I have to con or. I can, sorry, a congressman from Springfield, Missouri, who I, I have to constantly be reminded is a congressman because we were in the house together and he, he was always a very nice fella. Um, I remember he always used to really compliment. I had a pair of cowboy boots that he really liked, um, but he's just a real meek, quiet kind of fella who I think is just mixed up in a bad crowd, to be honest, uh, as, as are a lot of these people. And the guy, I guess it's Troy Nels, uh, Salty says, who answered that question. And I just think this is a reminder that um, just because people are in Congress doesn't mean that they are different, really, than your neighbor who spends too much time on Reddit and watches Newsmax. I mean, because that answer is just dumb. I mean, it is dumb politically. It is dumb from a policy perspective to not realize that when you are asked what is the objective of the impeachment inquiry to answer Trump 2024, baby, like I'm the, Jim Jordan was probably slapped him upside the head and was like, what are you doing, man? We're trying to pretend we're legit. Don't go saying that stuff out loud. Uh, so, you know, it's just a reminder that Sometimes people get elected to Congress who are just like all the other idiots. <laughs> well, speaking of Trump 2024, Jack Smith did something uh, very notable this week. Uh, he has these two cases against Donald Trump, and he made the bold move of uh, going to the Supreme Court. He's asked the Supreme Court to rule on Trump's attempts to have the election subversion charges dismissed based on uh, executive immunity, uh, which is currently before a lower appeals court. Uh, and Smith has asked the Supreme Court to rule on that matter of executive immunity and to do so quickly. He said, quote, the United States recognizes that this is an extraordinary request. Uh, that's what he wrote in a petition filed. Uh, he said, but this is an extraordinary case. Uh, he asked the judges, uh, he made two requests to the judges. First was um, to consider 
an issue that they have addressed before, which is whether the Constitution confers absolute immunity on a president against a federal prosecution for crimes he committed while in office. Um, and uh, the second uh, was uh, the he what was the second question here? Well, OK, um, the second question was um, on this. Well, I can't let's deal with the let's deal yeah, with the first. the first. It's too hard to keep track of all this stuff. Yes. Uh, okay. So, all right. So, what's the strategy here? Right? It's that I mean, we know what the Trump strategy is. The Trump strategy is to say you can't bring this case in the first place because I was president, and as Richard Nixon famously said incorrectly, when the president does it, it's not illegal. Is essentially like what he's going for here. Um, I'd, I'd be curious as to your thinking on the strategy here. Here's what I think it is: If I'm Jack Smith. I look at the reality that I'm pretty likely to get a conviction on at least a part of this. But, and, and, you know, I guess to back up, to zoom out even further, there's a concept in the law where there are, you can't just appeal anything that's going on in a trial. You can't just say, hey, you know, this decision by the judge, we're going to take this up to a higher court right now. Um, and we're going to pause the trial or we're going to pause the proceedings until we figure this out. You can't do that with any little thing. But there are certain items um, where you can do that. And what Jack Smith is saying is this is so uh, essential, so central to this case that we shouldn't wait until we've been through the entire trial. We should get this ruled on now. And he's saying we should get it ruled on at the highest level. Now, the court could punt. They could say, well, this isn't ripe. We're not going to look at it. But if they do rule on it, here's why I think this is really smart by Jack Smith. Um, what it means is that, okay, think about the scenario as it would play out. I think he's pretty likely, like I said, to get a guilty verdict in, in some shape, form, or fashion. But by the time that happens, you might be either really close to Trump, uh, either getting elected or, or facing the voters for election. You might, you might have a case where he's already been elected. There's all sorts of ways it can happen. And you've got a Supreme Court that is, you know... <laughs> pretty clearly uh, tilted in his favor. And they're aware of how much heat they would take and how much it would hurt the court if at that point uh, they decide to let him off. However, it's very likely they would do it. Is that if that's the situation where it's either he's allowed to be president or he's not, or he's allowed to be on the ballot or, or not, I think if they're the last, the last refuge for that, I think they likely just go full partisan coup style and just do it. However, at this point, the trial hasn't happened yet. If he can get them to rule on it now, it, I think they realize that if they rule on it now and don't even allow the trial to happen, basically, because this ruling would knock out a lot of the charges against him, well, then I think they realize that looks too brazenly political and the stakes for them aren't so high right now. For them, it's like, well, we could just do apply the law correctly. Uh, and then let it play out. But if they apply the law correctly later, then they then the far right and MAGA will will hate them forever. But at this point, it feels procedural. I think it's a very smart move by Jack Smith. Yeah, I mean, I think he has really no choice. And I've unconfused myself. The second request was just to expedite the question, the legal question that he had. And so which is why he skipped the D.C. Circuit, I guess. Yes. And I, my best guess is that the Supreme Court I mean, it's hard to say, but I, I think it, my guess is the Supreme Court does 
yeah, they they allow the procedural hurdles to be what kills this, right? So that they allow it to just play out as long as possible, because I think, like you said, they don't want to appear too political one way or the other. If they if they expedite it, they'll piss off MAGA. Um, and, if they and keep oh. in mind they they want Trump to win. You know, right. most of them. I, sure. I don't think Roberts does. I don't, you know, and there may be one other in there who, you know, like, I think a guy like Gorsuch is like, I got what I needed from Trump. I'd prefer, I'd prefer he just go away. Dude, Gorsuch is very extreme, actually. I think he has this sort of genteel exterior. Yeah, maybe. Like he, seems, he seems like the sort of gray haired CEO type. But if you actually look at the things he's said and written, he's very kooky. Uh, and so, you know, the most moderate of the the rest is Kavanaugh, but we all know that he's. Oh, I was confusing Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Distorted. I'm sorry. Yeah, You're- but he's like he's hard to read because of everything that happened with him. He he does seem to have an axe to grind. Yeah, you're, uh, you're totally right. I made Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh I, I, would like to move on. I think we all know Clarence Thomas, right? So Coney Barrett, we don't know a ton about, but she hasn't done anything to surprise us there. Alito, I think, is the most transparently political of mm-hmm. all of them. Gorsuch is is super kooky. Uh, and that leaves us with Kavanaugh, right? Like, and and I really can't imagine Kavanaugh sticking his neck out for the people who, quote unquote, had his back throughout all of that kind of stuff. So the numbers don't look good. But I think from Smith's perspective, it's like he's got to, you know, he's it's almost like a, you know, when you're it's like fourth and two in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and you, you've only got six minutes left and you, you're down by 14. You've got to go for it, even though, you know, if you if you don't get that those two yards, the game is over you know you have no other choice here. In this case, I think he has to go for it. My sense is the Supreme Court doesn't expedite it because that would just be, uh, I think, rattling either side of the political cage, although I do think that's the right thing to do here because I do think like, you know, getting swift answers to really important questions in an election year is critical. Uh, I think they wait, they let the, this thing play out and hope that they're not the ones that has to decide this matter eventually. That's my sense. Well, but that's but that's why I think it's so smart by Smith, right? Because uh, and and you're right. I don't think he has a lot of choice. But from a political perspective, right now, if they do it, it is a procedural decision they made. Now, substantive as well, because they will be ruling that he cannot claim immunity. But they'll be doing it before the trial starts, and there'll be so much more to go in the trial that people won't look at it as oh. Like MAGA people won't look at it as, oh, the Supreme Court, unless Trump, you know, talks about it a lot, which he might, but that the Supreme Court is the one that did this to Trump. However, in the likelihood that Trump gets convicted and then they're faced with the question, then it's a then there's a lot more spotlight on it. And then if they want to if they want to make the correct legal decision, which is to say, no, you can't claim immunity from these kinds of crimes, uh, then then they look like they're making a choice between convicting or acquitting Trump, which is kind of what they would be doing at that point. Right. And I'll read you from the New York Times article on this. It says, what happens if the trial is delayed? So meaning the Supreme Court doesn't expedite this question. Uh, It says a significant delay could push the trial into the summer or fall, the heart of the 2024 campaign season. That could cause problems for Mr. Trump because he would be obliged to attend the trial in Washington every weekday for two or three months when he could be holding rallies or meeting voters. Mr. Trump would likely respond to such a situation by bringing his campaign to the steps of the federal courthouse, and they go on basically talking about Trump being Trump, using this to his advantage. Mm-hmm. This would be a true mess, I'd have to say. And also, like, even if it does result in a conviction, what does a conviction do that close to the election? Like, I don't, there's I don't obviously know. no saw, precedent for this. I saw a poll the other day that I just don't believe, 
um, that said that it was something like one in four Trump voters say that if he's convicted, they won't vote for him. I, I would take that with a grain of salt. Maybe in the primary, like yeah, I, I think maybe in the primary. primary. Yeah, and I think maybe it means that in reality, one in ten don't show up to vote. Um, but I'd right. be surprised. I think the truth is, is by then, you know how this goes now. By then, the concept of a president being convicted this president will be so normalized because you can normalize things now in a couple of weeks that I just don't think they'll respond to it that way. But, you know, either, but no matter what the, it's certainly not helpful to be sitting in a courtroom charged with major crimes when you want to be out there making the case about why Hunter Biden is in, you know, really the man pulling the strings or whatever the hell case they were going to. Right. Uh, there was a separate news that just went down right before we started recording that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a separate charge, which is an obstruction charge related to a January 6th defendant that would also um, have some bearing on the Trump trial because he's uh, he's charged under very similar charges. And so this could, this, you know, an adverse ruling uh, for the prosecution could complicate some of the charges against him too. And so, you know, the way this is written up and we had to read this really quickly before recording is that this could also delay Trump's trial. So, I mean, this, this gets to just the, the high degree of uncertainty around all these cases. I think this is almost like the finding Nemo approach to uh, justice with Trump, which is we've got to send as many eggs out into the world. And one of them uh, may create a beautiful little, little fish that can flourish out there in, in the vast ocean. That's that's kind of how we treat this, well, I guess, you know? I, I mean, that's one way to think of it. The other way to think of it is, is this dude did lots of crimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and so I don't think it's, I, I, I would disagree. I don't think it's like, let's see if any of these crimes are things he actually committed. It's like, well, he was very busy and he committed a lot of crimes. I guess we'll just charge as many of them as we can. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is you know generally how positive crimes are charged. Yeah, positive thinking here. Well, okay, this is a this is a, I guess the end of our. We didn't do our Trump legal thing. With the the law. Oh, the bum bum bum. We need to do that. Oh wow, oh, there, there it is. It is. Wow, Very so impressive. fast, guys. So fast. All right. Uh, well, before we go for an ad break, I want to announce something for those of you who are longtime listeners. You know about this, Jason. You and I actually recreated Majority Fifty Four because I had been running. That's true informally a uh, fitness posse for my friends where we do things like um, as a group, we track healthy habits and workouts and all that kind of stuff. And we do competitions, both individual and team and people bond, they become friends, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, people have been hounding me to try to expand this program and make it more accessible to a, a wider audience of people. And uh, for obvious reasons, it just took a while. I wanted to make sure that we didn't kind of expand it to a wider audience until it was truly ready. Uh, and now we're ready and I'm ready. And so uh, people can go to joinsquadra.com, joinsquadra.com. And uh, you could read all about it. It's, you know, our whole ethos is health as a team effort, meaning like whether it's working out or eating right or getting the right kind of sleep or meditating and taking care of your mental health, that uh, doing it alone is so much harder and so much less fun than doing it with a group. So you could join a community of people that help you be better, motivate you, hold you accountable, bring that kind of camaraderie. And essentially, the way I like to think about it is it's almost like a social network that uh, provides stronger, more durable, positive ties amongst its members. And instead of making you less healthy and driving you crazy like social networks that currently exist, 
uh, this one hopefully makes you a better person. So you can go to joinsquadra.com. We're beta testing this uh, because uh, you know, I am not a known technologist, and so I've been uh, working with some folks to build this out into a true app and everything like that. And so we're going to accept a limited amount of members uh, on a rolling basis. So you can go there, fill out the application, and we'll be reviewing people uh, on a rolling basis. And it starts just in time for New Year's, for your New Year's resolution. So we'll be coming out the gates in January uh, for people uh, who well, want to get a jump start on their resolutions. Well, let me just say congratulations on doing this because I've you know, been part of all the fitness stuff you've been doing for the last few years. And uh, it's very cool that you're turning it into into something that other people can access. And I, I have to just fully endorse it. And I think people should definitely give it a try because it's worked. I found I, I saw my abs for the first time because of, <laughs> because of the program. The common thing um, we hear you know, from some friends of the pod like Liz Simon and Kristen Forbinger is like that uh, – they're the healthiest they've ever been at 40. We had a bunch of people turn mm -hmm. 40 in the program this year. It's kind of like color wars for your health and wellness is the way I think of it. Like we try to get goofy about it. So go to joinsquadra.com, check it out. And even if you don't join, uh, you can go to the bottom of the page and just uh, follow us on Instagram and we'll hopefully post some great content. With that, uh, we're going to jump to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Zelensky in Washington. And then we're going to talk about Biden versus Netanyahu, and then some positive news on the redistricting front. All of that and more when we come back. Heart healthy energy is so important to keep your energy up, and we could all benefit from heart, heart healthy energy. And one of the best ways to get some, by supporting your blood pressure and circulation. Superbeats heart chews are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure. They're plant-based and stimulant-free, and you get a green boost without the jitters. And you compare this with a healthy lifestyle with the antioxidants in Superbeats, which are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy healthy lifestyle alone. I take Superbeat shoes throughout the day. They're super tasty and they feel amazing. And this is something that's now become a part of my routine. And I take these chews every morning to start the day and then sometimes throughout the day, depending on what's going on. And this is the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended heart chew for cardiovascular health support. And it's blood pressure support that you can trust. Uh, Superbeat heart chews is also uh, supporting healthy circulation. So you don't have to get, uh, you don't have to just rely on them for blood pressure support, but also you can get productive heart healthy energy without the crash. So double your potential with Superbeat's heart chews. Get a 30 day supply of Superbeat's heart chews and a free full size bag of turmeric chews valued at $25 by going to majority54beats.com. That's majority54beats.com and you can get their exclusive offer. That's majority 54 beats Beats.com. If you're a long-time listener to this podcast, you know I have been drinking AG1 long before we've partnered with them for this podcast. I drink it every day. It's the first thing I drink in the morning before I go for my walk. And honestly, I, I don't know what I would do without it. I travel with it. Uh, sometimes I take it multiple times a day if I'm you know, having a particularly strenuous day or I'm working out um, or I'm just feeling a little run down. And they're a foundational nutrition supplement and they support 
your body's universal needs by uh, doing things like enhancing your gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. And since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, and they continuously refine their approach uh, to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Um, and so I have replaced uh, my multivitamin with AG1, uh, and I love the fact that one scoop includes so much. It includes prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes for gut support and magnesium, and B vitamins for energy support and adaptogens to help balance my body's stress levels. I even have vitamin C and zinc to help support your immune health, which is so critical this time of year. And so if you want to take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, 3K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash majority. That's drinkag1.com slash majority to check it out. All right, Jason, well, uh, Zelensky from Ukraine was in Washington yesterday, hat in hand. Uh, let's go to him and Biden in the White House. Putin is banking on the United States failing to deliver for Ukraine. We must, we must, we must prove him wrong. It's stunning that we've gotten to this point. The president pointing the finger squarely at Republicans. The host of a Kremlin-run show literally said, and I quote, well done, Republicans. That's good for us, end of quote. Zelensky with this plea. In Ukraine? We are fighting for our country and freedom, and also in Europe, we say for our freedom and yours. I mean, Jason, there was a daily had a really good episode this week, uh, basically recounting what happened in the uh, counteroffensive that Ukraine recently pushed, and essentially came to the conclusion that Ukraine uh, did not accomplish anywhere near its goals in the counteroffensive uh, for a number of reasons. One was that they were spread too thin. The, the U.S. recommended that they concentrate their forces and take back a smaller amount of territory, uh, and they tried to go for a, a more devastating knockout blow. Um, two is that the Russians are using like commercial drone technology in order to like you know like the stuff you'd kind of get in a store essentially mm -hmm. in order to basically um, see and thwart any advances, uh, which is just an interesting facts to think about in terms of modern warfare and the leveling of the playing field between people. And then the third is that the Russians have put a bunch of landmines uh, between them and the Ukrainians, which is horrible to think about because if you think about Southeast Asia and how long it's been that we people are still finding landmines there, people still die. I mean, I don't know what the recent story there is, but I know that for a long time that was true. I'm sure that the same was true probably in Afghanistan. And so this is um, terrible. Uh, and he's he basically they're running out of ammunition, and they came to to Washington to try to pry loose this debate uh, over funding. Where uh, surprise, the GOP is holding everything up. Yeah, I listened um, to the episode you did on the last debate about uh, Israel Gaza, the most recent one, but also you talked about Ukraine and and went through all this. And and it's what's really discouraging about it is that I do agree that they seem to be coming to a bit of a military stalemate and that they're sort of trading land back and forth over a certain area. Um, Ukraine is on the advance, but it's nowhere near the advance it would be. And, and it makes sense. I mean, when you have 
the ability to completely see everything that both sides are doing. And both sides have relatively similar sized elements on the battlefield. And then you add landmines to it. I mean, you really can't have an effective assault without speed and surprise. And it's pretty hard to have speed when there's landmines in the way. And it's pretty hard to have surprise when they can see you all the time. Um, and so it does beg the question of what is what is the end game here? And I, and I think I would recommend anybody uh, who's interested, go listen to your most recent episode because you did a great job of getting into the question of where do we go from here? And whereas the Republicans, as you alluded to, are saying, hey, we don't want to keep putting money at this. And now, you know, they're trying to uh, put it in with money for the border. They're trying to, you know, but they they obviously don't really want to do anything because when Schumer offered to let them just have an up or down vote on it, they were like, no, we can't actually agree on our side. And we'd rather just say in 2024 that Joe Biden didn't do anything about the border. Right. Um, 100%. So they're, they're just, they're just being difficult on purpose. Um, but I think the most important part of this that everybody has to remember, because this is another thing that's going to come up over the holidays with family members, is this is not about Ukraine. People always want to, I mean, it is to some extent, but it's just for some of us, it is. My wife's family, you know, came here as refugees from Ukraine. Um, so, you know, it's a little, my kids are half Ukrainian. It's a little bit about that for me, but it's not really what it's about when it comes to America's interests, because what people want to do um, is they, in fact, yeah, I think we have a Mike Johnson clip that's specifically about this. So let's listen to that, and then I'll come back and give you the counter. I have asked the White House since the day that I was handed the gavel as speaker for clarity. We need a clear articulation of the strategy to allow Ukraine to win. And thus far, their responses have been insufficient. They have not provided us the clarity and the detail that we have requested over and over since literally 24 hours after I was handed the gavel as Speaker of the House. And so what the Biden administration seems to be asking for is billions of additional dollars with no appropriate oversight, no clear strategy to win, and, and none of the answers that I think the American people are owed. I have also made very clear from day one that our first condition on any national security supplemental spending package is about our own national security first. The border is an absolute catastrophe. And this is because of the policies of this White House and this administration. Yeah, they're claiming that this is their priority, right? But they've been very clear that they don't want to negotiate at all. And even when Schumer put to them, uh, you know, Schumer issued a, a, on December 6th a challenge to Republicans, said, write an amendment detailing everything you want. And the Democratic Senate majority would um, put it up for a straight up vote. When was the last time the Republicans offered that to Democrats on anything when they had power, by the way? Uh, and so this is a, this is a mess. And the Russian state media isn't even hiding how gleeful they are uh, and how appreciative they are of the Republicans. This is a supercut of Republican state media. And for those of you listening on audio, we're really depriving you of just the kitsch of Russian media. It honestly makes you it makes um, Fox News look like PBS NewsHour. But let's go to this clip. What's happening in the U.S. is beneficial for us. Ukraine is losing. Russia is winning. This is it. Their funding and weapons came to an end. As of now, well done, Republicans. They're standing firm. That's good for us. Even Mitch McConnell, well done, Gramps. Well done, Gramps. 
All right. Well, I'm, I was just texting you over here because I want you to read it. For, I want to test your Russian. So obviously that's a ridiculous clip, but even more frightening was that Putin was at an award ceremony in Moscow and uh, was sipping champagne. And, you know, I said, I think said some startling things. I mean, he is, he is confident to say the least uh, what's going on. And so for, for the video audience, we're going to play this that has subtitles. He's speaking in Russian, but Jason, since we've, we've talked about your Russian skills before, for the audio audience, we'll, we'll keep your audio on, and you're going to do your best to try to to translate this uh, with the help of subtitles. So actually, this isn't that much of a challenge. Should I try? It's, should I close my eyes? Close your eyes. Yeah, close your eyes and try to do it. We'll see how uh, fast. It's it been a long time since I tried to speak it. I can. All right. And do your best Putin poorly. impression while you do it. All right, let's go to the okay. clip. No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's see. Okay, I'm opening my eyes. You're going to get no, this is a fun translation. You're going to get no uh, accent or anything from me. You're just going to have to summarize it, Robbie. Okay, uh, here's the key part. He says <laughs> that was fun. I got, I got, you know this, you know that. Ukraine this. I can't do it that fast. I get, if we're sitting around the dinner table and he's talking about food, I'm totally fluent in that. It reminds me of, I can't remember in what context you told me this, but that Diana knew somebody who just pretended to know Russian oh, yeah. before, uh, and then caught him in the lie because she obviously speaks Russian. Uh, there was a the time key, when I was dreaming in the language. It was the key, a decade the, ago. The key point is he says, Ukraine has no future. Okay. So you have all this crowing going on in Russian state media. Putin is saying Ukraine has no future. This comes as the U.S. has declassified information, the Biden administration, showing that Russia is potentially going to go on the offensive. So this isn't even just uh, about the Ukrainians uh, trying to win back their territory. They could lose more territory if they run out of support and ammunition. This is a real risk here and one that I think is extremely alarming. And I really wish the Republicans would put their politics down for a second and realize that, hey, like Democrats are at the table for the border stuff. Biden has said as much himself. Um, he, I think he proposed 16 billion. I'm sure they can get that number up to whatever the heck they want it to. But like you said, is this really about helping the Ukrainians or is this about ensuring that Biden has to own chaos at the border for the election? And, and then to go back to what I promised a minute ago, what, what our listeners should say to people when they bring this up as to what this is about, is this is about future generations or even current members of the United States military not fighting and dying in a, in a hot war against Russia. That's what this is about. Putin, from the beginning, has been really clear what he wants. He wants to bring all of Ukraine back into Russia, like it was during the Soviet Union. This is, I mean, Putin is all about trying to recreate the Soviet Union. Um, and that's what he wants. That's what he's wanted all along. He sees Ukraine as Russian because he thinks it should be part of Russia. When he thinks of Russia, he thinks of the Soviet Union. And it's not the, and, and this point was made really well by, what's his name, Isaac? Uh, mm -hmm. On your, yeah, on Isaac your show? Yeah, Isaac Saul made this point really well, which is, it's not a mystery. He's been saying that's what he wants all along. And so if he is successful in this, then he's going to choose another country next. And at some point, he's going to choose a country that we have a defense pact with, that, like a NATO country, which means it's the same as attacking California from a, from a policy perspective. It means we will be obligated to defend. And what, 150,000 Russians have been killed in this war? How many tens of thousands of Ukrainians? 
So what this is about is, yes, it costs money to help Ukraine defend itself. Yes, it's you can't guarantee that Ukraine is going to be fully victorious in the war. What you can do is you can keep Russia from winning and taking all of Ukraine and then turning to Belarus or turning to, you know, whatever nation is next and saying, now this is ours, uh, turning to Moldova or wherever, and eventually getting to Poland or, you know, wherever they're going to go and say, well, this is ours now too. And when that happens, there's going to be no choice. It's going to be kids who are in the military now. It could be our kids one day who are going to have to fight and many of them will die in that war. So yes, it is worth the money now to defend, by the way, a democracy that deserves to be defended. Uh, it's, not, it's not an exaggeration to compare this to the, the, to compare the Republican position on Ukraine, or at least those Republicans who oppose uh, supporting Ukraine, to appeasement. And saying, you know, Hitler's going to stop at one or two countries. We, we, we trust him. There's, there's, I have no qualms about making that comparison. Yeah. And, you know, we, we had talked about Navalny last week. Navalny's missing now. He may be dead. Mm -hmm. You know, Putin does not give an F about what anybody thinks about him. Yeah, think, think about that. Putin looked at, okay, the world is paying attention to Gaza and Israel. They're not even paying attention to Ukraine, Russia right now. Now's the time, is I think what he decided, to disappear him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I mean, what weird, horrible timing, by the way, given that we're just talking about him, and then days later he he's yeah. disappeared. It's really horrible. Um, yeah, we're gonna, I'll probably do an episode just on Navalny soon, uh, assuming that this thing stretches out, maybe even if it doesn't. But okay, let's move back to the domestic front. Uh, the In a bit of political news that's good, I guess, I mean, I, we could read it in one of two ways. Actually, like, I think, let's, can we finish with the good news and can we oh, go yeah, to Israel and Gaza yeah. first? Yeah, no, just to leave people with the good news. Yeah. yeah um, okay, let's talk about Israel. Two big things happened yesterday in the world of Israeli-American relations. One was that uh, Biden um, issued some choice words saying that Israel is losing its support over the Gaza war. Uh, he also pushed uh, Netanyahu to change the composition of his government and his cabinet, uh, which is, uh, I think, a pretty startling, uh, although I think valid thing to do. Uh, you know, Generally speaking, allies don't get involved in each other's internal politics, which is why when BB kind of endorsed Romney, basically, that was such a head turner. Um, but I think Biden realizes how weak Netanyahu is and realizes how much of an impediment to anything meaningful and uh, positive happening at this point in, in, in this conflict, any meaningful uh, peace, he has gone after Netanyahu. And at the same time, Netanyahu has rejected Biden's plan for Palestinian authority control over Gaza after the war. So it, things are cooling between these two allies, Jason. Yeah. Um, I'll just say personally, as a Jew who has always been pretty supportive of Israel, you know, I feel like I'm, per, you know, not, this isn't about me, but I think there may be a lot of people listening who can relate to this. Um, I've, it's, a, it's a very difficult in-between feeling right now because um, I obviously support Israel's right to defend itself. And I, we even have you know, through Diana's side, family members who are in the IDF. Um, so it is very close to us. I've been to Israel. Uh, and at the same time, um, when I watch what Netanyahu is doing and rejecting, I think, not only 
a very legitimate proposal by the Biden administration to say once the war is over, the Palestinian Authority would be in charge. But honestly, kind of the only tenable proposal, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, other than saying Israel is just going to completely occupy Gaza, which doesn't seem tenable to me. Um, And so by doing that, uh, especially right after the United States made the controversial, to say the least, decision to veto calls for for permanent ceasefire at the UN um, and the, as the lone vote and therefore the veto on the Security Council, I think that is, that's pretty audacious. And, and I think it's also wrong. And, you know, you and I have talked about this for a while, and I've taken a lot of heat uh, from some folks, I, I'm not, not even on the left or right, just in the Jewish community, who really disagree with my saying that Netanyahu is not a good leader. Netanyahu is look, Hamas is responsible for the attacks, but Netanyahu uh, has some blame for for certainly for leaving Israel vulnerable to it. Um, and I just don't think he should be in charge there anymore. I don't think he should be prosecuting the the war, and I and I don't think he's responsible enough or has has the right uh, temperament at all to think about how to how to proceed in the war and what to happen afterwards. And um, and it's. Ah, man, it's just it's just really frustrating, and I think it's right for the Biden administration to talk about this change in government because what they what they really mean but can't say is we need somebody other than Netanyahu in charge. And I and and by the way, that's the, how the majority of Israelis feel. I would remind yeah, a lot of Americans say, who you know you're you're in company with the majority of people in Israel, and you know vast majority at this point, and it, you know it's a matter of when, not if he's going to step down soon. And I think. You know he's in this position now where he can't be trusted because he has always pursued his narrow self-interest over the uh, the interests of his people or the Palestinians, obviously, and he uh, that has always been true. But it is it has now come to full light of day, uh, and it is apparent to anybody watching, especially anybody who has to rely upon him for their safety. And he, there is no chance that this guy is going to see peace through. And and you know I said this on the podcast yesterday. The U.S. now has offered a clearer plan post-war than Netanyahu has offered. They've said mm-hmm. Palestinian Authority. They've also issued a series of uh, requests and demands of the Palestinian Authority if they were to take over Gaza. Uh, and Netanyahu has rejected that. What he has not done is offer any alternative as to what the American plan is. And the assumption would be more occupation, which cannot be in the long-term interest of either the Israelis or the Palestinians. As someone who has served in a country as an occupier, I can tell you that uh, you don't win a lot of friends doing it. Now, Afghanistan was a lot different because the majority of the population wanted us there because we kicked out the Taliban. But that said, it only takes, it doesn't take that many. You don't, majority or not. I mean, I can remember this general coming in from Central Command and I had to like, be his aide for a day, which was of all the stuff that happened over there. Interestingly, that was like the worst because I just hated doing that so much. And I can remember this guy, he was a one-star general and we, it was like one of the only days I got to be in an armored vehicle. And we are, as opposed to, you know, being out there in just a thin skinned uh, Mitsubishi Pajero. And so we're cruising along in Kabul and he sees this uh, young boy uh, look into the into our vehicle and make this throat sa- slashing motion at us, which I saw regularly. And he said, "What did what was that?" And I said, "Well, sir, it means he he wants to kill us." And he goes, 
well, that's not very nice. <laughs> and I said, no, you're right, sir. It's not very nice. My point is, it's when you're when you're removed from the situation pretty far, you can you can lose touch with the fact that when you particularly with what Israel has done, agree with it or don't agree with it doesn't matter. They've there's been an awful lot of bombing and an awful lot of killing. And and nobody disputes the fact that the majority of those who have been killed have been innocent civilians. You know, doesn't mean they were killed purposefully, but that's the fact. The idea that you're then going to occupy that territory and think that it is going to be anything but a horrible, horrible, bloody insurgency against your troops is terrifically naive and a terrible idea. Um, and I just don't see how there can be any argument otherwise. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders, who has never been viewed as somebody who is like ride or die Israel, made an, an excellent argument when he said you can't call for a permanent ceasefire when Hamas is still intact and still dead set on killing as many Israelis as possible. You can't ask Israel to have a permanent ceasefire against people like that, but you can hope and pray for a cessation of hostilities long enough for there to talk them to ha- talk and to have the hostages be released. And you know that makes sense. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with this, other than oh yeah, I hear you. Netanyahu has done a terrible job, and his idea of what you would do afterwards is going to be even worse. Yeah, and he he said something that was notable for those of you who follow the history, which is he said we're not going to repeat the mistakes of Oslo. And I had a whole rant on this <laughs> yeah. yesterday, which is like, what was the mistake of Oslo? The mistake of Oslo was letting Netanyahu take charge in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, it was the rise of Likud and the rise of Hamas, which are two very different phenomena, but happened at the same time. Uh, that and have become symbiotic. Uh, you know, a lot of good reporting on this recently that they are explicitly symbiotic. I used to use it almost as like a metaphor or something, but it's actually explicitly true that Netanyahu had an interest in letting Hamas um, grow and prosper uh, for reasons that we've talked about before. The way I look at this is if you've ever had a friend who has a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, they're still your friend. If they go to the hospital, you show up. If they need you know, help paying for rehab, you pay for the rehab. If they just need somebody to talk to, you're there. But that doesn't mean you're not going to deliver the hard truths. And that doesn't mean that from time to time, you're going to step in and issue ultimatums. And you're also not going to hand over money to your friend if you, if you know they're going to use it for alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in this case, that's the kind of friendship that I would want for the United States, which is we're not going to sit by and watch you hang yourselves. Uh, we're not going to sit by and continue to support the illegal settlement expansion. We're not going to support uh, a, an occupation without an end. Uh, we're not going to support you know, young Israelis you know, walking around above tunnels, uh, you know, Hamas tunnels. Uh, for years, if not decades, on end, uh, and we're not going to support, you know, more indiscriminate, or indiscriminate is probably the wrong word, but just more uh, killing of Palestinian civilians without a clear justification for how it's going to keep everybody safe, right? Like, what are we doing here? What is the end of this? And, and those who are listening who have not heard us talk about this before need to understand that both you and I are deemed pro-Israel and, uh, and, and receive a really substantial amount of flack from people who are not, including a, a, a lot of people who are on our side of the aisle. And so I, I yeah, equate- to be clear, I have every bit, Jason, of, of continued skepticism towards a lot of, the, uh, of my 
my friends out there who say things like from the river to the sea and yeah. things like that, by the way, and, and none of this is in response to their pressure. Uh, this is just my reading of the event. Like there was a great Wall Street Journal article recently that pulled, went to these protests where people are saying from the river to the sea and they asked them what river, what sea. Isaac talked about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the they don't know what river and what mm-hmm. sea they're talking about. People like it's, you know, that's not to say they're not astute pro-Palestinian people out there. I know plenty of them. But a lot of the people who are kind of trying to bully me into some kind of position out there don't know a whole lot about what's going on here. I, I view my criticism of Netanyahu and my wanting a new leader for Israel to be no different whatsoever than my never voting for George W. Bush, wanting George W. Bush out of office, campaigning to see George W. Bush no longer in office, and at the same time, joining the United States military and volunteering to go to Afghanistan. I, it is my view that there's nothing I could do that would be more pro-Israel than wanting to see a new leader in Israel in the same way that I think that being a patriotic American involves not being for Donald Trump in the next election. I, I just don't see a difference. And uh, anyway, so we promised some good news. Let's, let's pivot off of this and, and deliver some good news for people. Yes. Okay. So uh, New York's highest court has invalidated uh, the old district maps. So if people remember uh, in the last cycle, uh, the legislature uh, had drawn up maps that were very favorable to Democrats. Uh, the court struck those down. Uh, new maps were created that resulted in a 1511 Democratic Republican split. So there's 26 seats total. Uh, and if um, the original maps would have stood, it, Democrats would have won 22 of 26. So a net of seven. Uh, and so we can't know for sure that this ruling will result in a net of seven, but it certainly will dramatically increase. Uh, the Democratic yield from the great state of New York, and uh, dramatically improve their uh, chances of winning the House of Representatives. This is, I would say, good news in the short term. I continue to believe, as you do, that the best case scenario would be every state having nonpartisan districting, redistricting committees, but you obviously can't unilaterally disarm, uh, and you shouldn't. Yeah, and in a world where you have gerrymandering and it's part of the system, well, then you have to at least get Democratic delegations out of the Democratic states uh, so that you can eventually get to the point where you can create a system that's more just. So I totally agree. All right. Uh, with that, that, do you have a grab an oar this week? Or are we? You looked like no, you wanted to say something. So no, I had so I had an exciting thing to talk about for one for us. All right, well let's let's get to that. Uh, let's go ahead, go ahead, and we'll we'll, we'll have a and oh, what I would say for Grabinor real quick though is I want to thank. I haven't had a chance to go through all of them, but a lot of people have gone to my website and used the contact form, and I've started to get a lot of emails about people nominating folks for folks who are using their platform, um, and I really appreciate that. And I would just encourage people to continue to do that. You can go to jasoncanner.com, use the contact form, and nominate somebody. And I'll get through them. And, and on a future episode, I'll, I'll try and pick out a few good ones for everybody to highlight some folks. But go ahead, one for us. Right. Tell people what's going on. Well, for once in my illustrious career as a Buffalo Bills fan, <laughs> the, a fluke ending to a game went our way. Uh, and I, I texted you after the game. Like I've gotten to the point now where I, I'm a Billy Bean and Moneyball. I love the Bills so much. I can't watch the games. I literally created a, a to-do list of like ten like annoying administrative items that I sat and did without looking at the game 
And then as if like, almost like if you had a child who was like harmed halfway across the world and you just had this feeling, I knew something was going on and I pick up my phone. <laughs> it's the last minute of the game and I'm staring at ESPN.com as like a baffling ending to this game occurred in which uh, you guys had this spectacular play called back by a very obviously offside Kadarius Tony uh, and your otherwise unflappable uh, quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, um, embarrassed himself on TV, according to many commentators. He did well, he, has, he, is, he has apologized. Yeah, yeah. He got yeah, very upset. I don't. I don't pretend that he's a bad guy or anything like that. Everybody loses their cool, and I, I don't know. That's very frustrating. But uh, it was great. We were alive. We have to win basically every game for the rest of the season. But uh, at least we live to fight another day. One more it, week. It is sad because it was probably the greatest single play ever to have not counted. In a game, yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to describe it. People should go back and watch it. It was amazing. Um, and uh, other than that, I'm going to take a page out of your book. And uh, it's too upsetting to me. I'm not even going to talk about it. Uh, I, I think I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. pretend it didn't happen. Um, we own the Chiefs I, parentheses during the regular season. In the regular season, <laughs> yes, yes. For those who don't know, the one of the most famous playoff victories of the Chiefs certainly over the Bills, but over anybody really by any team. Ravi and I were there together at Arrowhead a year ago. Um, that was a year ago, right? Or that was two years ago. Um, Honestly, and, uh, I think we need a name for me before and after that moment because I don't feel like I'm the same person after that. Yeah, you were mute after that moment. It was terrible. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, uh, my uh, on a similar uh, note, actually, um, you know, painful. Uh, I am, as I told you before that we started the show, I am in terrific pain um, because I have. Um, I, the last couple of days, I've had a lot of pain in my mouth, and I went. I went to the dentist today, and uh, he looked at. It, he's like, everything is intact. He's like, have you had a sinus infection lately? And I was like, yeah, I did. I just got over it. He's like, yeah, you have an infection that has gone into your mouth, and now it's spreading oh, across shoot. your teeth. So he gave me antibiotics. I picked them up right before um, we started broadcasting here, and uh, and I took a lot of Tylenol about an hour before we started, which is why I'm able to talk. But I can't chew everything I'm drinking right, everything I'm eating right now. I'm just making into shakes. And I, I bring this up one to complain uh, and to just for people's sympathy, but really also because you know I, I've always heard in the past about how like in the olden days uh, the theory is is that a lot of people who were in insane asylums and that kind of thing is that a lot of it was attributable to the fact that dentistry was so primitive and that you know people would be in pain from various dental maladies and then they would try to fix it but they really didn't know how and just that pain in your mouth dental pain is so distracting and excruciating that it will drive you insane. And I was thinking of that this morning when like, I, you know, I just can't, uh, this Tylenol is starting to work a little now. So, but it hurts like crazy, but like now I can um, concentrate a bit. I couldn't sleep last night. And I just want to say like anybody out there who's experienced a lot of dental pain, I just, I feel for you. And I assume that these antibiotics are going to work and in the next 24 hours, I hopefully be past it. But I totally get how if you experienced dental pain for more than a few weeks, how people would be like, that person has lost their mind because I would lose their mind if this pain were to continue this way. So on that happy you, note, it makes you wonder like what people did like before they were like proper dentists. Like, I guess they just pulled every tooth. Yeah. Basically, Ca until you had no teeth left. 
I think they just went castaway style. Just yeah. boom, knock it right out of there. Uh, but the whole mouth. So, all right. Uh, on that happy note, and kind of thematically perfect uh, after some of the things we talked about, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Ravi is on all your favorite socials at, at Ravi M. Gupta, and I'm at Jason Kander. Uh, remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. <laughs>